Hey, uh, so Cormac, what what happened with this episode? Um, my dad forgot to um press play into the middle of the press video- record, right? Record until the middle of the recording. So sorry, everybody, but that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. There, there was there was some fantastic conversation up there, but yeah. uh, I think I think you jump in as usual. Yeah. When when Matt Ray is doing a good a good uh, a good instance of actually talking about something useful and uh, very technical. true, very true. That's very right. True. So enjoy the episode not that different and you know probably over time you know they'll, they'll if I, I there's a, a lot of mindshare already around the docker tooling so probably they just keep adapters and slowly pull out the guts and just make you know the docker api and interfaces the way you talk to kubernetes and and you know and microsoft's thrown in with the docker apis so maybe maybe you know, over time like you keep the docker interfaces you keep two interfaces to the same infrastructure. I don't know, um, but this means that Docker has to find something else to spend their engineering calories on, um, probably, uh, and and go into the money making things. It's going to be like making it consumable by enterprises. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a hundred percent. You know, the Docker strategy going forward. Well, the, the the good news is that's a good explanation, uh, very concisely put. The bad news is I had, I had forgotten to to hit record until right before that, <laughs> so so I'll have to do a little voiceover introduction to that. You you missed a great discussion of how to uh, have your kids put their shoes on on time, and uh, one of the best <laughs> oh, data dog ad reads I've ever done. I'll have to do another one, but uh, but it was fantastic. Good good information on how I got a dollar fourteen for some sort of problem with uh, the ebook industry, but. We 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 recorded the actual good part, Matt Ray, where you said something uh, something intelligent. Now, <laughs> just, just to summarize, there was also some. All three of us, I think, were doing some masterful analogizing to uh, Game of Thrones and uh, infrastructure strategy over the years. So uh, you know that's just that's just in the ether there for for people to go find at one point. Maybe the transmission will be will go out into space and it'll be recorded uh you know matthew mcconaughey will start throwing books at us and and we'll understand it again so there's that next time you just gotta you gotta remind me to uh press record but we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll just keep going we got plenty of other stuff to talk about so like i think you know there's a couple of good uh a good, a good quotes that like you can tell that uh this guy dave from uh from from forrester was the analyst on call to do this uh so, because he gets quoted several times, and I mean, he sum, he sums it up well. Like as, as we were talking about before, before I was recording, that essentially, uh, you know, it, it's it has all of the mindshare around it, right? That everyone has yeah. decided on this platform. Now, now being a little more like what goes on inside the industry. So, so you were touching on one thing, uh, Matt Ray, that I think that I think is it's sort of like what do we do now? Which is like if you've already committed to like using Swarm or whatever, and uh, you know, to be fair, conversely. Uh, if you're in the, the the pivotal world, right? Like you're using the um, if we have a new name for it now, but tradition, traditional pivotal cloud foundry, right? And I'm not suggesting that that there aren't good answers here, but uh, over the next couple of quarters, I think there'll be a lot of sorting out what it means to use one of these. I hesitate to call it proprietary, but one of these non Kubernetes things versus other Kubernetes things. Right, and, right. And so I've been I've been obviously pursuing uh, that a lot, trying to figure out what the answer is, and one of the better answers so far, which is 
complicated is basically you have one mode of operating. So you use the Kubernetes for like your stateful things, essentially, mm-hmm. and you use this other stuff for your stateless things, which I, I guess is something in in the cloud native world, right? And then another another thread that, that I've been trying to pull on is there's been a lot of discussion of... Uh, like basically, if you take your off-the-shelf software, you'll be running that in. That's better for running in Kubernetes. Which that's a whole. The thing I'm trying to pull the thread on there is like, is that actually something that's happening? Right? Like, I, I, I and, don't see that. And to and to distinguish an off-the-shelf, I think I think as always, it's not that people get confused, but you've got to really, uh, as they say, double-click down on on what they're talking about. It's one thing to say something like. Well, our MongoDB instance will be running Kubernetes, right? Like that's a off-the-shelf thing versus like here's an actual application or an ERP thing that we would be running in that mode. But yeah. I mean, I think I think that's the next big thing is like so so if we're all going to have Kubernetes and it's not just going to take over this stuff that we've had already, what workloads do you put in each and 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 what makes right. sense? And, 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 and I think, like, looking over at, at the Mesos, uh, you know, version of this, um, you know, one of the things that made Mesos interesting was, was they had, you know, they had the, the stateless, you know, cloud-native apps, and but they were also good at things like persistent, you know, stateful things like, you know, Cassandra workloads and what I call the SMAC and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff, you know, your, your uh, big data things. And... But a lot of the early, you know, poster children for for DCOS or for Mesos or whatever were, were like Twitters, where they're like, you know, we run a million containers a day, and you know, the containers live for thirty seconds, and that's not stateful, right? You know, the, there's no statefulness about that, and, and and Kubernetes was kind of like, oh, well, you know, what they point at is say the Kubernetes guys they only do stateless, you know, mm-hmm. they're only playing in that space. Uh, but if you need, you know, the longer lived, you know, the the pet sets and and you know the the things that are going to have more state, well, you know, you're still going to want Mesos because we do that hybrid scenario better. And so Kubernetes was pretty much like, well, we'll wrap up the stateless stuff. And oh, by the way, now we're starting to manage VMs and you know bring in some more of this this yeah. hybrid stuff. And so what I the way I see your cloud foundries and, and swarm and, and other marathon ways of doing Well, other ways of doing stateless stuff yeah. is they become the preferred API for how you interact with your applications. And you're like, you know what? I really like the way, you know, my applications get deployed into cloud foundry. You know, it's got really nice workflows. You know, we've already tooled up for it. Our applications come out as build packs, and we hand it to it, and it just runs it. And I don't have to know what the plumbing is. And Kubernetes is the plumbing. And so yeah. the plumbing for everything is getting ripped out right now. And everyone's just like, you know what? Uh, we finally got some standardization in this play. Let's let's move into how your applications get deployed. You know, so you have your your pass, your, you know, your pass play. Uh, there's going to be a, a functional functions as a service play probably, um, and you know, Kubernetes will, you know, turn its, its Sauron eye towards, the, you know, the stateful stuff to go after those VMware workloads. Yeah. And, and, um, and I, guess, I guess to pull one of the uh, well-worn, because it's effective, uh, long-term strategy plays is, uh, as a vendor, you want to have the option to sell as much of the total stack as possible, right? Yep. And, and in that way, you're not dependent on being able to make money off of one layer or component of the stack. 
And so, right. and so to that point, right? Like if, if you lose the battle of, uh, container orchestration you've got plenty of more things that you can sell and then you can do the trick of like this thing that on its own we would sell for nothing or for very little like salt it's still vital in an overall meal that you might cook to have the right amount of salt and a very expensive you know cut of steak and so if salt commoditizes then uh and that's a bad analogy but anyways, <laughs> yeah, you, let's, you, we'll say, let's, let's, let's talk about that forester that's uh, right as as, wave. as james governor would say packaging is very important. How you package something and bring it to market, and it's almost a Jeffrey Morian uh, complete solution thing. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the uh, that's that's the interesting thing, and 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 it's both a dilemma on the vendor side, which no one should really care about. But I think more importantly, I think um, uh, you have to like figure out if you're a buyer, like when are you going to commit to this stuff, and and if that's if that's what uh, if that's if that's if what the forester people saying is true, then. You've sort of like gotten everything uh, taken care of. Just choose Kubernetes, which actually when I was off in, uh, in New Zealand and Australia, uh, I was talking with um, a uh, one of the enterprise architects at one of the banks there. And uh, this person was saying like, yeah, we've chosen Kubernetes. You're going to have to really argue against me not to uh, not to have that be the thing we choose for this, which right. which is for, sort of fair. And it's like, all right, well, what are you going to make for the other 12 decisions you need to do? <laughs> <laughs> right, well, like, and, and, and but but to the back to the plumbing analogy, that's like saying you know we've cho- chosen indoor plumbing. Like, okay, are, are you talking you know Fister? Are you talking you know uh, Moen? You know, who, who, what is your interface into your plumbing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the toilet that you're putting on all of this? Yeah. Well, so so <laughs> so so speaking of uh, gold plating, you got to go get some uh, orthodontry for for your uh, your family, hopefully get the shoes on on time we'll see yeah, we'll see how that yeah. turns out but since, since you got to run off why don't you give us your recommendation for this week matt ray and then brandon and i will uh we'll keep talking <laughs> well i i got a couple more minutes but uh um hmm, uh, my recommendation is uh i have no idea if anyone except uh, those of us down here in australia will be able to watch it uh but there's a a show that my wife and i have been watching called Rosehaven. And um, it was on the uh, the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Channel. I know it's very confusing it's... over there. I, it, it was hard to uh, hard to cope up with that. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's uh, it's got kind of a, a northern exposure kind of vibe about mm. uh, somebody going back to uh, a small town in Tasmania. Uh, some of the some of the uh, actors from um, my other Australian favorite, Utopia, uh, also known as Homeland. Um, depending on where you're watching it, but uh, go watch Utopia, and maybe you'll like Roseland, uh, Rosehaven. But uh, you know, just that quirky fish out of water comedy kind of thing. Uh, very, very northern exposure. But I have no idea. You can watch it. <laughs> How was that for some uh, interstitial like uh, music to go into a little mid roll read? So hey, as mentioned, uh, I forgot to press record. I had one of the better Datadog uh, sort of reads earlier, but since they're sponsoring this episode, uh, and and as as uh, as as you may or may not know, this is the last episode they'll be sponsoring in this run, which we greatly appreciate. Uh, I, you know, I followed Datadog for a long time, and they. 
they seem like a pretty solid, uh, good company. So uh, what we got for you here, I'll tell you a little bit about Datadog. But if you want to get a free Datadog t-shirt, which I, I would encourage you to do, I saw someone in uh, Nashville running around with it. And I've gotten these shirts before at conferences. It's it's the typical very nice shirt uh, that you would get at a, say, a DevOps days or something. It's not the uh, those old beefy T ones. It's it's a much softer, uh, nicer one. And it's got a uh, it's got a nice purpley color to it with a cute little dog on it. But if you go to datadog.com slash software defined talk, if you sign up and just create one dashboard, you can get yourself a, a free t-shirt. Now, what I think would be fun to do is if you take a screenshot of your dashboard and we'll select some of them here and uh, analyze them a little bit as a sort of bonus segment at the end, it would be fun to see that. I think uh, I think setting up a dashboard to monitor how uh, how when you get your t-shirt would be fun. But so anyways, who is Datadog? Well, you know, we basically cover the world of infrastructure software and monitoring and keeping up with how things are running in production, figuring out how to respond to it, collecting all that observability stuff into one place is uh, vital and key. You know, like if you go to the uh, the Pivotal offices, you'll see these big screen monitors, as they used to call them, information radiators, just throwing out, out all sorts of information. I mean, actually, I guess they find the good information about not only how something like production doing is doing, but how the build is progressing. And it is this uh, this reporting. What uh, what did uh, Benjamin Franklin say? If if you don't measure it, you can't manage it. I think, uh, or or was that uh, Abraham Lincoln? I I forget. Maybe it was uh, maybe it was that's from In Search of Excellence. I, I lose track. But anyways, so Datadog is a great uh, uh, monitoring company. They'll pull this in, pull together dashboards, do some analysis. It was built by engineers for engineers. It's got that kind of SRE take of we should be able to program this stuff. And it's specifically designed to provide full stack observability for modern applications. Now, it's used across development and operations team. It'll work for ser- servers, containers, apps, whatever services you have there. All of the great technologies that you need to monitor to keep up with going, it's going on. And in fact, it's got basically uh, 200 technologies. I bet it's a little over 200. It's always good to round down. It's got all the things that if you're a software-defined talk listener, you'd be interested in from uh, public cloud things like AWS. Of course, they have Chef because they want to make Matt Ray happy. You got your Docker, your Redis, your Kubernetes, Pivotal Cloud Foundry, and on and on and on. And I think what you would expect from a company like this, unlike certain companies that the three of us used to work on, is very rapidly adding in new technologies and things that, that you would need to do to get not only your uh, algorithmic alerting, but more valuably things like end-to-end request tracing, diagnostic stuff, and all the basics uh, just in one place to look at. I mean, no one really uh, cares about mom anymore, but uh, you do want to have your, uh, your your manager of managers to aggregate things up and focus on what you want. So, again, if you want to get that free T-shirt, which, seriously, why wouldn't you do that? Uh, you, you should go sign up for that and uh, send us a screenshot of the dashboard that you create to get that free T-shirt. You can go to datadog.com slash software to find talk to find that. And if I was saying that too fast, you can just look at the show notes at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 109. But you probably know where to get it. And at the end, uh, I'll come back in and remind you of that. So with that, enjoy the rest of the episode. And uh, I'll try to hit record next time to see what happens. Bye-bye. Then since you do have some more time. So here, let's specifically look at, like, uh, pull out some of the uh, the value propping and stuff that around the Docker announcement here. And uh, if uh, – I, th- I forget if we made – no, we didn't make this free. If you go back to uh, – last week's uh, Software Defined Talk Members Only White Paper Exegesis podcast, which you can sign up for for as little as a dollar a month. I would suggest 5 to $10 uh, because, come on, 
you work in IT. It's not like you don't have money just like leaking out of your ears. Uh, you should, you, instead, you should leak it into our ears, like some sort of poison. And uh, was that Macbeth? No, that's Hamlet. I, I, I was never a big fan of Shakespeare. Um, anyways, uh, so if you, we, we, Brandon and I discussed a couple of interviews, including the, uh, the, the Docker uh, CEO. And it was fun to read this announcement because you could kind of like see the trickling out of some major new value propping and messaging. And starting from that, I mean, there were two things. One, uh, what is becoming perhaps uh, my favorite phrase of uh, 2H 2017, MTA, which at this point I've forgotten what it stands for, which is part of why it's my favorite. So there was a lot of MTA talk about uh, about how this which was Which is modernized traditional application. Oh, yeah. MTA. Yep. Yeah. There, there it yeah. is. Yeah. The UPCF folks got to be all over that, right? Yes. We call is that we, not we, your we, acronym? Well, because we don't come up with acronyms like that, uh, we we just uh, we we just say modernize or app replatforming things like that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and then also security was something that if you read some of the coverage, the uh, there was a lot of good message control about like you know they could have said so uh, what what did uh, what did you have for uh, breakfast this morning and and then the answer would be uh, like now did I mention how much security is helped out by swarm. So definitely they were hitting up the, uh, the security angles a lot. So, you know, it does seem like, and, and there's some good case studies that they had about the MTA stuff, or, or I guess this is just say one that I encountered how, you know, they had, uh, I think it was MetLife, our, uh, our Snoopy friends. I don't think they have Snoopy anymore, but that's how I remember them. Uh, they're, they're having all sorts of cost savings by moving their, uh, their Tomcat applications and, and other things to run on uh, Kubernetes, if I remember, which I think is sort of like, as they say, right in the pocket there of, of what people are saying you could do with Kubernetes versus these uh, newfangled runtimes. But it'll be interesting, uh, as we were talking about in that, uh, that white paper episode, to kind of track, does this become one of the major messaging themes of, of Docker, uh, which is, is you can run your existing applications in it. And essentially, uh, it's, it's the old thing that I feel like Docker has always been running away from, which is like, no, 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 we're not a VMware takeout company. But in the past, like, let's say 20 days, there's been a pretty strong message from Docker that basically will cut your VMware costs in half, which yeah. um, that sounds like a VMware takeout strategy uh, to me. But but it's a lot of money in that banana stand. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just looking. I mean, you know, kind of back to like, where do we stand? Right. And Docker, if you look at that little their uh, burger chart, as you like to call it, Cote, it's just like. You know, the Docker container is open source. Now we've all agreed Kubernetes open source. So the only thing that's kind of left at the top, right, is kind of the security management. And then, you know, I was just looking at this utility. They have this what uh, Docker utility that will basically snapshot something and then, you know, let you make it a container right now. Ooh. I don't know how much image to Docker, like, I don't know, you know, does it work? Yeah. How, 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 how well does it work? But it's clear to me that, you know, where they are well positioned in this kind of world that I think, Kote, you spend a lot of time in, I spend a little time in, and it's like, okay, somebody that doesn't want to move to the public cloud for whatever reason, right, is trying to figure out what to do with a bunch of legacy applications, is probably also trying to figure out whatever they choose, they want it to play nice with, you know, cloud native applications. Then I think Docker is at a position where it's like they have a brand around containers. The, if they hire, and they have a lot of money to hire a direct sales force to go out and call on the Fortune 500. And make their pitch. Like this is why uh, they you should pick Docker. We could probably, and I imagine their proof of concept is to like you know actually use this utility image to Docker, move some legacy applications over, cut your VMware costs in half, and then position themselves as the platform of choice to build 
your next set of cloud native applications. So that yeah. seems to be the the strategy. I think they never really wanted, but that was always kind of most obvious. I think they wanted something more like the VMware. Everyone will just use our stuff, right? And mm -hmm. whether it's public or private cloud, and all the public cloud vendors would adopt it and have to pay them some way. But um, that's a huge goal. That's like I, th I think today. I mean, I think this this announcement sort of like puts a nail on that, right? Yeah. And it's like now they are clearly an enterprise play yep. with a good brand around containers that I think a lot of people are going to take meetings from. And of course, I think IBM will be there. I think Pivotal will be there. You know, there'll be a bunch of other people there. So it'd be competitive, but it's a place they can at least, you know, make their their best uh, value proposition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you know put, to put it away that, I, you know, with an anecdote that I think that I think all of three of us will appreciate. I, when I was at DevOps Days Nashville, I was I was talking with someone who, uh, you know, uh, they were uh, they were they were starting some startup that was doing like monitoring or some bullshit. I don't know, whatever. And uh, and and it, you know some system, yeah, some some systems management thing. And uh, they're like, oh yeah, you know, we're it's it's for AWS monitoring, and so it's going to be a SaaS and and all of this. And I was like, oh yeah. So, you know, that sounds like fun. So, like, next year you'll make an on-premise version, right? And they're like, no, 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 no. I mean, it's only a dude. And it's, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. have, have fun. Yeah. And, it, and it was equally funny is one of y'all's uh, chef people was the person standing next to me, and he was just kind of nodding along slyly, you know, <laughs> 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 laughing at that as well. But, yeah, it yeah. is, it I, is mean, uh, I mean, eventually, eventually, right? Like, uh, you go to the enterprise, Right. Like that's yeah. uh, that's that's where that's, you know, I, I don't know. I forget if we missed this or not, but like um, there's some filings that Docker is raising some, some more money. And so they'll have a total of like you know, 255 million in funding, which is like, you that's know, a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. The uh, the Global yeah. 2000, they got a good way of paying that back eventually. So, yeah, you know, you got to exactly. you got to market to them. Well, so is that the new battleground? I mean, there was uh, uh, at, at, the, at the Dell World you know, a month or two back, you know, Mike, uh, you know, someone from, I think it was from the Dell side, uh, said, hey, you know, um, Dell and VMware and, you know, Pivotal Cloud Foundry and Google were taking it, we're taking it to Red Hat and coming after that OpenShift money. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, well, is, so it's a three-way fight and for, you know, you're going to put Docker in that mix and everyone's fighting for that, uh, you know, application modernization, plat replatforming dollar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so is that is that the new fight? Because there's a lot of other vendors who probably would like to be included in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> least of all Mesosphere, but. Uh, I, I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, aside from enjoying having a boss who just clicks accept on all my expense reports. You know, my my uh, my professional uh, choices would would indicate that I think that's the case, right? That all the uh, in in the realm of things I know about, right? Uh, that that's the most exciting thing going on, right? Is uh, all of the custom written software and stuff like that that exists out there in 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 the large organizations of the world, like it's not going to go away and. Despite what we all may wish, it's they're not going to open up a uh, some some mom console and click on my data center and then drag it over to cloud and let go of the mouse button, right? Like that that just hasn't really panned out. Uh, so in the meantime, for the next let's say at least ten years, like just like there was a battle over app servers and a battle over business intelligence and a battle over every single category since I've paid attention to this stuff. 
that winnows down to two or three, sometimes four. Like that's what you got for like if if you're an organization that writes your own software to run internally or externally, then uh, yeah, it's a regular Westeros at the moment, just like heating up for uh, all sorts of excitement. Well, I think there's like a been a real shift, and I do think it feels like it's happened in the last six months around, you know, the narrative. I think that Amazon and really infrastructure as a service, like once painted, like every single server will eventually be in a cloud. Most of the time, when people are talking, then they meant infrastructure as a service, and that there will be no computers left anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So, like that sort of maybe going back six, seven years, you know, that sort of was like the popularized narrative. I think in you know, just out there, even to the point like it's kind of even mainstream. Everything's going into the cloud. But then now, like, I feel like I've seen a lot of articles around, one, I think some of the more traditional legacy vendors, you know, like have done fine financially, right? The stock market's up, like their earnings reports are generally in line. People are happy. And I think, and so therefore I've seen a lot of people write things around uh, to the effect of like, it turns out cloud isn't just about being the public cloud. It turns out cloud can actually mean more. I read this whole article talking about like, in some ways, cloud is being redefined as just the word IT, right? Because mm. like companies are doing it lots of different yeah. ways. And I feel like people are just much more accept. It's almost like, it's like, I think to us, it's like the world, the way the world's always been. But to like the mainstream world of the people creating narratives, it's almost like, well, it turns out the narrative is now cloud's everywhere. It's a little bit in your data center. It's one of your preferred cloud vendors. You've got some legacy applications. You've got some new applications. And and it feels like, the and even Amazon, even the people, like the Amazon people used to be really militant about, like if you use cloud and you said private cloud, they would like correct you. They'd be like, there's no such yeah. thing as a private cloud. And the, I don't think they think like that anymore. And I, you know, I fully believe at AWS reInvent this year, we're going to see some kind of private cloud announcement from Amazon. And you know, so again, again, all of this is just sort of like kind of acknowledging that like what we just called IT before is now just being called cloud, and it kind yeah. of exists everywhere. Yeah, no, well, and and I, I think I think that's fair, right? Like I I think I, I think uh, I mean not to be aligned with our our positioning and other people's, but like whether you want to call it hybrid or multi cloud or whatever, I think the ultimate end goal is like, oh yeah, computers, IT, <laughs> right? And. And uh, wherever it's running isn't really that big of a deal. It's just the uh, the shared plane uh, that that you have running it all on. Yeah, because I, I I saw an article in Forbes um, it came up a couple. It's I guess two months old or whatever, but essentially said that IBM is winning the cloud. I was like, you know, I don't think most people think about it that way. Yeah, and then the guy had his list, and and you know, Salesforce was number two. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll see who wins the cloud. But yeah. you know, if you if you change the definition, you know, I guess uh, you know somebody else is going to win it. You know, all the time. But I got to run. All right, have fun. So, Brandon, speaking of how how are how are your uh, how are your benefactors doing in the cloud? Well, I mean, I think you know we we saw some good uh, good earnings from. Uh, IBM people seem to be very happy with it. So I, today, today I'd say things are good. But as you know, Cote, when you work at these large companies, it's like you know, really, six. It's not all that different, you know. So I always think it's funny when there's a like a uh, big announcements and there's like a lot of stuff written. But you know, when you're actually on the inside, you're like, well, actually, everything's pretty much the same. We're pretty mm. much doing the same things we were doing yesterday. Yeah. I don't. How, how do you find that? Do you find that the same? Do you find that the public news that surrounds the Dell Empire? Um, doesn't really affect your day-to-day life very much? 
Well, there's two answers. One of them is like the obvious. Yes, you're you're correct, right? Like the uh, well, well, as as our former president was trying to uh, soothe us with that the the arc of history is long and positive and all of that. The arc of history is butt ass slow, <laughs> right? Yeah. So so doing anything takes a long time. Uh, it takes a lot of progress. So sure, day to day. It can feel like it doesn't matter. Now, the fact that I'm in a highly external facing role and I'm in marketing, uh, I do have to keep up with things and pay attention to stuff and figure out what, what, what's going on. So that's a bit of a, a, a out of scope to the question that you have. But yeah, I mean, I think a favorite topic of ours is, is sort of like, you know, one data point is, is nothing. Two data points is barely anything. Three is getting pretty good, but I'd rather have more like five to 30, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> I want a very long curve of what's happening to, to, build, up, um, to build up a sense that uh, minor successes have become like unstoppable conclusions, right? And so like, right. and, and especially when it comes to like quarterly earnings. I mean, so in, in any new technology field, Quarterly earnings are a little, I mean, I, I haven't even looked at the, the IBM one, so I don't know. But historically, when I've looked at other things like this at many other companies, you do always have to be wary, whether it's going up or down. Like sometimes uh, you lose millions of dollars just because you lost one account, right? Which you can mark that down as like bad management of your portfolio, but like whatever, that's the way life is. Like sometimes, you know, the Navy is like, not going to use your stuff anymore. And then there goes $20 million <laughs> or, right. or whatever. Um, but then equally, sometimes you sell a giant account, right? And some things are regular. Or sometimes you figured out how to do some, not a trick, but you figured out how to do some accounting in a different way. And, you know, as a tiny reference, um, I guess it's for members only, but there was a uh, ben Tom one of Ben Thompson's write-up. He had a little mention of the MongoDB S1 filing. And he was mentioning that in, in a lot of these SAS filings, they've been showing, um, I don't know what I'm about to talk about here, but a cohort analysis of the way that you track a subscription revenue is you need to track the year that was acquired, the, the, the cohort, the group of customers that were signed up in 2015, and show how that group over the years has thrown off profit. Because acquisition of a, of a subscription customer is really expensive, right? And uh, so what's, what's more interesting is like not the annual... Um, uh, pool of people that you're looking at, how much you're paying to acquire customers than how much profit they're giving. But you want to demonstrate that over the course of three to five to 10 years, you do a good job of bringing people them in, retaining those customers, and then extracting profit from them, uh, essentially. But I mean, I think that's, that's, I bring that up because that's a good illustration of how you can't just look at one quarter or even one year to kind of evaluate how a strategy is panning out. You need to have this longer arc of, of right. how things are doing. No, I think I think you've, you're onto it. I mean, I, think, I, I guess I just kind of plot that against like narratives, and I think it's interesting. Yeah. I don't know when we started this podcast. Like, I think not intentionally, but we started it probably like in the middle of the the Great Recession, right? And and I think that's what kind of just drives so much of this is these different narratives, like you know, and then the world that we're in, right? And if there's anything like you know, Ben Thompson has his like um, aggregation theory. I would say you know. I have my like you know enterprise software. It's not about the technology. It's around the pe about the people, and that's what everybody misses, right? Like yeah. everyone gets so caught up that like there's a new technology X, and it's going to displace everything. Is always like the first narrative, and the reason I think people do that is they see in consumer technology that can happen, right? Like you know suddenly you know there's a new phone out, 
and Nokia is no longer, right? Or like suddenly there's a much better searcher, search engine and you, Yahoo is fundamentally just a different company than it was. And those in the world of enterprise software, I think that's the thing that people think that happens much less and it's much less likely than um, the reality, right? And that's why I think like kind of seeing kind of just the broad, if you will, the broad large vendors, you know, kind of return or being doing okay or at least, you know, not like suddenly going out of business is what's kind of interesting to me, right? Is that like, okay, yeah. now the narrative starting to flip and nothing really changed. Like, I mean, throughout this data points, like I probably said a million times on this call was like, you know, I just, I go to see a lot of these companies and I, I think they just, they have lots of organizations, they have lots of data centers and they, they want to talk about what they're going to do and they don't seem to be like just moving all, all this stuff to the cloud. Like you said, right? There's not this double click button, drag, drag everything over. And that has never changed, right? It's always been like, they've got some side projects. They're doing some stuff there, but at the same time, they have a lot of reasons they're going to keep stuff uh, in house. And that I feel like, you know, th now I feel like that narrative has kind of caught up to that reality. Right. And I think now everyone's sort of like resetting expectations. So, yeah. um, which, which is good. And then of course the people that made money during this period, um, because there was a recession and because of that narrative would be private equity, right? All these private equity guys are like, we'll just keep buying up all these, these companies that everyone doesn't think aren't cloudy enough. And I, now if the stock market continues to be as strong as it as it has been, you're going to start to see those things be spun back out, right? As like as it becomes in vogue again to like have some type of on-premise business, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I mean, there's a gradient between sort of like uh, uh, you know narrative and framing of, of what you're saying, and 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 also just knowing what is actually going on, um, and so. Uh, which is all to say, right? Like, I mean, we've followed this long enough that, like, you know, uh, public cloud is always going to be gigantic next year. And and indeed, revenue-wise, it keeps growing and growing, right? Like, it's it's a tremendous amount of revenue. But it's still, like, uh, depressingly, like, there's still a lot of, of the private cloud stuff out there. And I, and I think, I mean, I'm kind of repeating the points here, but I think just as a general principle, uh, it shows you, as you're saying, in, like, the enterprise space, and this isn't universal, but especially in the enterprise infrastructure space, like it's just like every quarter, every year with all the vendors in there, it's just like a hard slog <laughs> to figure out what to do, right? Like the the sales cycles are extremely long. There's always these new things coming along. And, you know, at the end of the day, people just want some technology that, that I'm getting all bromidey here, but like it's hard it's almost impossible to strategically figure out the right thing to do for all the existing IT that you have. And I think that's one of the reasons why, like, you see new firms come along. I mean, to cite our favorite thing, you know, the uh, the halo effect makes you forget the 50 to 100 startups that totally failed and you never heard of, <laughs> right? Like, like uh, there was always eucalyptus. Like, whatever happened to <laughs> those right. people? Uh, yeah, but, they're gone, right? But, you know, there's all sorts of things like that that have come and gone. So you only pay attention to the winners. But one of the characteristics of the winners, right, is they're not held back by all of this this sort of, like, vendor baggage and things they need to do. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, at the moment, I think that's one of the primary things that a tech vendor that you have to figure out how to strategize around is how do we get how do we get the freedom to innovate, right? And And PE is one way of doing it, right? Like... You can go hide out at a PE firm, and as long as you have their uh, their blessing and and their funding, it's it's kind of like a VC on the other end, right? Uh, so so you can hide out and do things that way. But I mean, the other issue is like it's um it's easy to lose track 
of of the narrative, not least of which because, I mean, to soften it, I mean, you know, tech news, especially in the enterprise space, is generally terrible, <laughs> right? Like, and and it kind of goes after just like all news, right? Like all the bulk of most news at, in any domain just kind of goes over the big stories and things like that, which which I think is is sort of fine, right? I mean, this I remember long ago. I had this realization, and I think it's true, that one of the major problems with news is that every day you have to write something. And, uh, like, but nothing important happens every single day. So you just sort of, like, you still have to come to the table and do something. And, you know, that's why you end up with a lot of these sort of, like, rankings and stuff like this. And, and, and you know, you gotta fill, you've got to fill the space uh, and, uh, and fill that content. But, you know, I, I think I think there could be a little bit more responsibility. And you see this, I think, this is why we're always talking about, like, whether it's Horace Deju or Ben Thompson or other analysts who make their stuff freely available, is they do take a more medium and long-term thing. And what they evaluate is the proof or of either the operational functionalism. That, they, they, they discuss how you can prove that a company is uh can do it that they have a culture set up and an operation structure set up so that they can kind of survive whatever and they can come up with things and they have the freedom to operate whereas like normal news stuff doesn't focus on that at all right like it just focus on events that happen and so if if like most people you're someone who just like uh just kind of reads the news that's thrown at you right like you read about all the the kubernetes stuff in the public cloud and you're like yeah but the 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 growth of amazon has been amazing so public cloud must just be taking over and and whatever but you have no context so you know you're like a child wandering into a conversation as it were um but you know it's it's hard to find that kind of analysis because uh yeah it's it's expensive to produce and there's a very small market for it but it would be great if, uh, as someone, I was I was at um, at uh, our, our spring summit in Beijing, and the two questions I got after my session were they were classic like it's a good thing I've been to media training I and mean, not like a sarcastic asshole uh, sort of thing. The first question was basically like you didn't say anything about Java EE, and I'm from the Guardians of the Galaxy, and you know just something like that, which is a fun, exciting thing. Basically. The, the guardians of, of Java don't like spring people, uh, so they're always trying to prod at them. And then the next one was, was hilarious, which was basically to summarize that the person was like, so you didn't say anything about IBM. What, what do you think about IBM? And it was like, uh, do, do you know who's putting on this conference? <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, you yeah. came to the wrong conference. You're at the wrong place. <laughs> That's right. That, that was an instance of uh, they don't always do this, but last night on my flight from Dallas to Austin, they were like, "This is a flight to Austin. I mean, to Austin. If you don't want to go to Austin, this is your last chance to get off the plane." Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. anyways, maybe, I mean, maybe I mean, a little PSA for all conference attendees. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the answer I gave about IBM being as genuine as possible is like, I really like IBM. Like, I hope they figure it out. Right. Like they keep trying and trying and like you got to give it to them and that like they IBM has been doggedly consistent on their long term strategy, I think, for better for a long time. Right. Like I think I think uh, not not to put you on the uncomfortable sort of spot, if you will. But, you know, I think um, I think Jenny got screwed by that pronunciation of whatever shareholder returns that the previous CEO made. I mean, that's that was 
in hindsight, pretty irresponsible. <laughs> in 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 a sense of like that's a big weight to put around your successor's neck, right? Like it's it's and irresponsible is the wrong word, but that was unfortunate. Um, and so you had that to live up to, and then uh, yeah, I mean it's hard, like setting up what your strategy is going to be, executing on it, like managing all the portfolio, but. I don't know. I mean, it's uh, IBM's pretty good at what they do, and it would be uh, all they got to do is keep trying, and it'll probably turn out okay. And I think I think that's where people ultimately fall down is they just stop trying, and then uh, you know, then all the hungry wolves come and eat them. But <laughs> <laughs> I like that, I like that. Well, I just think it maybe comes back to like just. I think the the one thing having worked at other large companies and working at IBM is just the scale of IBM and the amount of diverse projects and customers uh ibm's involved with like i don't know i don't know if there's really any company quite like it in that sense like you know just to compare like another one like sun right was really at the heart of it was a lot of smart engineers but really it was mostly about selling spark servers right it was just that was like all the money and so like if you could attack that which ultimately linux collectively did um, in x86, right, then, you know, really that you could quickly take that company out. And ultimately, that's that's what yeah, happened. And yeah. I think look at Google and, you know, most of their money is in advertising and, you know, kind of look at some of these things. Like you do see companies that are incredibly successful often are like tied to this one simple to easy, uh, very simple, easy to understand business. Right. But that's what makes it vulnerable, too. Whereas. When you're like, and I think GE would maybe maybe we should talk about that one. Just like when you're in these mammothly large companies that are have lots of employees that are solving lots of different unique problems, it's just like not one thing, you know, one change doesn't jeopardize the whole business. I think Dell is kind of the same way, right? There's yeah. just so many things that are happening. So, and I think that's what people just fail to understand about because I think that the company, the vendors often kind of, if you will, mirror or matching the customers, right? And this is like, the re- this is the world of like all these manufacturing and government agencies and financial firms that have all of this IT, right? That someone needs to work with them. You know, it isn't like they can't just do Amazon. They can't just do Google Cloud, right? You know, so that's the part people really, really miss because it's not a simple, easy answer, right? It's yeah. a complicated answer. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think we'll probably end up touching on a lot of this in our uh Tomorrow in our software defined talk members only white paper exegesis podcast, because uh, we'll be talking about th- this book, the four. I forget since I stopped recording if I mentioned this, but there is actually uh, there's there's a really good part in the book, uh, depressingly small part uh, that kind of goes over a lot of this point of like how how you have to contend with uh, capital's belief in you and not. And the kind of the, the way that strategically you have to deal with that. And, and I think, I mean, to summarize, and then we can kind of move into uh, just summarizing leftover stuff and then close out with some recommendations. But I think I think what I've noticed in when you do the retrospective analysis, which is always difficult, tech companies that I look at, and I don't know about the rest of them, but they tend to fail uh, when they sort of lose inward and outward facing situational awareness of just like knowing themselves really well, knowing all their, their problems and their strengths. And then when they use awareness of, they lose awareness of what's happening in the market. And I think a textbook example here, which is easy to pick on is like sun, right? Like sun had some great technology and they kind of like lost the story about, I mean, it's very complicated because they would always speak to these things, but they started to lose track 
too early on of like the Linux story and then the story of how Java was monetized. And, and that kind of gets to the next one is like, I mean, this is like maybe my only principle of strategy is like, you should sell something people want to buy. <laughs> right. Like, and, and it's really good to spend a lot of time figuring out what people want to buy. And, and if you're not, if you have a product and people, either you give it away, you don't ask them for money or people don't want to buy it, then you're going to fail. And so like you constantly have to be figuring out, am I selling something that people want to buy? And, you know, part of that is figuring out all of your go to market stuff, your field strategy, your marketing, everything that leads up to the point where you hand something over to someone and in return, they hand you a bag of money, right? Like it all goes up to that point. And then, and then finally, I mean, I think, um, I think another thing that that's clear when you look at the, the trail of dead of companies is, I don't know, to put it in an overly concise way, they're not good at figuring out when to divest something and just get rid of it and dump it. And, you know, another side of this is what you might call value unlocking, which is it's not so much divesting, but it's more like optimizing and harvesting, right? Like if you look at the uh, the cash that some legacy product brings in and you're spending a lot of money to keep it up and support it and stuff like that, at some point you just got to be like, eh, let's just sort of like kill the golden goose and make sausage out of it because it sure as hell ain't laying gold eggs anymore, but we can eat the meat nonetheless. So I don't know. I mean, the, retrospectively, it all makes sense. But in each instance, uh, there's a pretty it's, there's always an instructive reason why they kind of uh, missed the ball and failed. So Hopefully tomorrow we'll, we'll talk more about that. It, it'll be good because I really don't like complaining about people's work as, as I might be apt to do when we talk about that book. <laughs> <laughs> but, All right. <laughs> Fired up now. It's going to be yeah, a good yeah. episode. But so there, there's a few things we'll put in the, uh, the bonus links. One, I, uh, I, I, my, my column for the register is out this month. I wrote, I wrote one uh, about uh, the skills gap, how you know, there's surveys about how people uh, say that it's hard to find talent and hire tech people, programmers and IT people, which I think that is certainly true. And I was sort of going over some uh, some possible ways of like uh, making that better. And coincidentally, there was also an article in the register about a survey about, uh, you know, the olds, the old people are afraid of, of their, their prospects in the tech world. Then there's also uh, your favorite chart, from the the CNCF about the uh, the complete landscape of the cloud native uh, world has been updated. Brandon, we'll put a link to I that. I do like it. I yeah. always always like that chart. Yes, as as and the immortal words of uh, Jaws, we're going to need a bigger monitor if if we want to look at that chart. It's 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 quite the chart nowadays. And uh, I, I think I think the only other thing I mean, there's some other things in there uh, that you'll see. But I, I think the other thing worth mentioning, because it's kind of an ongoing theme connected to what you're talking about, is uh, there was a good write up of how Red Hat is on a trajectory to be a three billion dollar company. And speaking of, uh, you know, uh, writing a check that maybe your successor's butt can't cash uh, like. You know, there was some some uh, I think Whitehurst was proclaiming they were going to be a five billion dollar company, which is not out of the ordinary. But that is that's a high posting to go to. And, uh, you know, I, 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 being a, a competitor of Pivotal, like just with IBM, this could seem like faint praise. But I think what's extremely instructive about that is Red Hat has been around 24 years, so almost a quarter of a century. And it is not yet, but soon will be a three billion dollar company. So. Hey, all you open source entrepreneurs out there, open source is a very difficult business model, <laughs> right? Like it takes yes. a long time. Like, as I said, it's good to make something that people would like to buy. That's always handy. Or you go back to my salt analogy and you just become salt that's acquired by someone else. But so uh, with that, 
what's your recommendation for this week, Brandon? Well, I was going to recommend a new audio book that unfortunately I've not finished. So, you know, it's always a little, uh, a little dicey to do this, but uh, Machine Reading, which is a uh, new and collected stories, but it's by uh, Hugh Howey. So I guess he's written a bunch of, st- uh, of uh, stories. He's put them all together from, I think, either old stuff he's never published or some new stuff. And I uh, maintain that Wool or the whole uh, Silo Saga trilogy or whatever, the Silo Saga uh, series, um, it's just a great series. I just love that series. And I really like that first book, Wool, especially good. Uh, so I've gone ahead. I've already you know, started it. I think it's good, but I love Hugh Howey. I like what he writes. So oh, I believe good. this is going to be good. And you know, so maybe in a couple of weeks I'll come on here and tell you how good it was again. But yeah, you know, check I'm, it I'm, out. I'm I'm always looking for a sci-fi fantasy book series that's uh, that's uh, it's kind of it's kind of like the type of beer I want. I don't like beer that challenges me. I don't want an IPA. I just want I want I want a nice, pleasant sort of like beer that you drink that just gets you a little drunk, right? And it's it's surprisingly hard to find books like that. Uh, especially series of books. They're, they're either just like not good or they're, uh, they're about like space carpets that are sentient or something. Like, you know, you <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let's see. Also, um, uh, I, as I mentioned maybe earlier, I'm going to be uh, uh, speaking at this virtual event, All Day DevOps. It's uh, on October 24th. And uh, at 2.45 p.m. Central, you can log in and see me give my, I think my not, a, not actually a DevOps talk talk. Uh, if you haven't seen that before, so uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But if you just search for all day DevOps, which is hard to say and type, um, you have to think about it a little bit, at least I do. But you can see that. And also on that note, there's uh, the recording of me giving that talk at DevOps Days Kansas City is finally up. And I think uh, I think that's one of my better versions of that talk uh, that I gave. I, g- I gave that talk in Nashville and uh, people seem to like it. But as you and I are always, or as, as I'm always getting therapy from you with Brandon, like, man, that was the worst version of that talk I've ever given. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I do not feel like I gave it well, but the, the Kansas City one is pretty good. So um, my recommendation this week is uh, now that it's getting a little cooler, uh, I, I was able to take out my Patagonia men's Merlot wool fourth zip sweater, which is it's it's kind of a thick sweater. And I don't know what Merlot wool is versus Marion wool or all these other types of wool, whatever. But one, it's a nice sweater. Looks pretty good. It's only subtly branded with the Patagonia thing. Uh, you know, I'm a big I'm turning into a big Patagonia brand head. So I buy a lot of it. And sometimes they go a little Nike on their branding, which which whatever. That's that's fine. Uh, but it's a good, comfortable sweater. And it's one of those that's like it's thick, but it, you don't, it doesn't have to be that cold to wear it. And it's got that four zipper thing. And you can also, despite the fact that it's wool, maybe this is what Merlot is, is you can just wash it like normal clothes. You don't got to, uh, you know, hand wash only, uh, you know, lay out to dry sort of nonsense. So it's uh, and I noticed uh, it used to be like eighty dollars which is how much it costs when I bought two, but now it's like 49 or $50 or something. So you should go pick one of those up for yourself. So uh, also, again, uh, thanks again to Datadog for this is the third and final sponsorship they have in their run, and it's been great. Uh, you know, after after Casper and maybe one or two other people that I can't remember, they've it's, it's nice that they decided to uh, sponsor Software Defined Talk to help out not only us, but y'all listeners to kind of show their, their support for it. Um, and, uh, it's, it's been very encouraging that we've, we've been able to, uh, do their ads and talk about it. But remember, if you want to get a cool t-shirt, right? And uh, if you haven't done it already, you just go to datadog.com slash software defined talk. 
And uh, all you have to do is set up one dashboard. What you should do is send us a screenshot of the dashboard, and we'll kind of analyze it, kind of like we would analyze an iPhone home screen. Um, but once you do that, you'll get a, a free T-shirt, you know, those really nice T-shirts uh, that you can get at a conference. I think it's kind of a purpley color with that cute little dog they have on there. So uh, just go to datadog.com slash talk and uh, get that get that dashboard and T-shirt. And thanks again to them for sponsoring that. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.